I'm going to do that with a cherry tomato bomb, which is a peeled cherry tomato that's soaked in straight bourbon. Oh. Welcome back to another edition of the Hops and Spirits Bar Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Green, and we're in the midst of Whiskey Weeks 2021, and we have a special guest. She'll be joining us here in just a second. Well, she's technically here if you're watching. Uh, Chef Wida Michael, uh, who owns uh, many restaurants in Central Kentucky and also has a new cookbook that is out and that we're excited to talk about. But right, like I said, it's Whiskey Weeks presented by Nose Your Bourbon. And if you don't know what this is, it's a nosing kit uh, to help you figure out all the nuances, all the different notes that comes in bourbon. It's something that has really helped me, especially as I'm still learning all the all of this and kind of getting a better grasp of what all I'm smelling. It's a great kit. I highly recommend it. Check them out on Etsy or they now have a brand new website. Knows your bourbon, N O S E your bourbon.com. Uh, and guess what? We've got a giveaway with them soon. So stay, stay tuned to all of our social media at hop spirits, all one word on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. You can also find us on YouTube and our brand new website ourselves, hopspirits.com. Like I said, it's whiskey weeks. And we're here to talk with chef, Wida, Michael, Chef, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for having me, Jonathan. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. Well, we're thrilled to have you. And for those that don't know, like I said, she owns several restaurants in the greater Lexington, Kentucky area, central Kentucky, uh, kind of good home cooking uh, restaurants. She also has a cookbook out. Uh, I think you even have a bourbon club. Am I missing anything? Anything else that you're doing these days? <laughs> we have a wine guild, a bourbon club. Yes, we've got all kinds of things coming. We have a new website coming out. We're getting ready to launch. Um, based on content that we're developing around central Kentucky's food culture. So yeah, just a few things. Yeah, just a few. (laughs) Oh, and, and I forgot to say, she's also an award-winning chef uh, as well. James Beard nominated multiple times. uh, So she's really good at what she does. If you haven't figured that (laughs) that out as well. Uh, I guess my, my first question for you is, you know, because we talk about all the different things that, that you're doing and uh, what, what's the hardest? Is it, running a kitchen, owning the restaurant, or is it even writing a book? What's, what's the hardest? (laughs) Well, I don't run the kitchens anymore. Um, in 2016, I, when we opened Honeywood, I got some professional advice that you can run your kitchen or you can run your business, but you can't do both. And I really wasn't doing both very well. The only kitchen I was trying to run was the Holly Hill Inn kitchen. And so I took that to heart and kind of did restructuring. So I, despite what people may think, I don't flip every burger. I'm not tossing every pasta. Um, you know, we have 200 employees and seven restaurants, a big events business. So it's a big, it's, it's our little company. It's a small company by many standards, but for me, it feels like a big company mm-hmm. um, to run. Um But running a kitchen is no easy feat. Uh, I did run the kitchens for many years. And it's, my hat is off to the chefs that work for us. It's tough. uh, But it's also just, uh, I don't know. It's, it's my passion. I absolutely love it. When I don't know what to do, I go into the kitchen and cook. I love cooking. I cook every single day. Um, Sometimes I'm cooking at, in one of the restaurants and sometimes I'm cooking at home, but I, there isn't a day that goes by that I'm not cooking something. Uh, But writing the book was super hard. And I have two wonderful co-authors um, Sarah Gibbs, who wrote and all the recipes. So when we started this book out, we had all the restaurant recipes, but they were like for 25 gallons of chili, and, you know, <laughs> well, this makes 10 dozen scones and, oh, this will make three hotel pans of brownies. So 
she had to work all those recipes down for a home cook. And then we had to go through a long, very lengthy testing process to make sure that they worked correctly and that the instructions were written beautifully. And she did that. And we had an editor partner in Jeannie Graf, who's also our co-author, who just did a beautiful job on all the copy editing, as well as moved our project along. She wrote some of the narratives with me. And um, yeah, so, but it was hard. It took six years to write that book uh, because we kept opening restaurants and, you know, because you stay busy. You just stay busy. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Now, yeah, when, when I'm doing research and, and, and things, I, every now and then I find some interesting facts. And, and one was this that I just, I guess I never thought of. But you were a political science major, a mm-hmm. debate team member at, I believe, University of Kentucky, right? And yes. were the second woman to win a national debate championship back in 1986. Yet you mm-hmm. became a chef. How how did that, how did that happen? (laughs) (laughs) Well, the, first of all, let me just say the university of Kentucky debate team is the most successful debate team at a public uh, institution in the country. And they just won the national debate tournament again, two years ago, I believe. So they are an outstanding still to this day. And they're one of the oldest debate programs. It used to be called the Henry Clay Philodemic society when I was a member, but it's, it's now the UK debate team. And, um, I'm I'm so proud to be an alum of that team. Um, and we had a club. So one of the great things about college debate is you travel all over the country. You go to Boston, you debate at Harvard, you debate at Dartmouth, you go to Georgetown, you're in D.C., you're in Chicago, you go down to Atlanta, out to Kansas. You know, you're debating all across the country, just like the basketball team. And um, so in every one of these cities, we would go to a great restaurant. So when I was an undergraduate, you know, so in 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 uh, Boston, we'd go to Legal Seafood and eat eat lobster. Now we had to pay for our own meals. <laughs> I'm just be clear, we weren't getting treated to lobster by the university. <clears throat> but uh, that so that was a special occasion meal. But we would often go to like Greek Town in Chicago. We had a little Indian restaurant we liked to go to in Boston. There were just these places, and I began to really fall in love with food culture. In the summer times, when you're a really successful college debater, you teach debate camps. So you teach high school kids how to debate at these really great debate camps, and one of which was at the University of Michigan, which was wonderful. And I taught there many years, and we had a club called the Best Stomachs of Debate. <laughs> and we, it was a dinner club, and we cooked uh, for each other all the time. We lived, you know, and we... We sampled, we tasted wine. We, we had a wine of the day and we would buy a different wine and taste wine. And uh, some of those, those friends have been with me for many, many years and are many of them are investors in our restaurants. That, that's, a, that's amazing. And I just also love that. I, I feel like you guys were just living a great life. Well, I mean, you are still, but I mean, that sounds like a great time. Uh, you know, wine of the day, uh, cooking yeah. for each other. I mean, that just, like you said, good memories and, and things that, you know, uh-huh. now have continued to, to, you know, um, stay with you guys and stay, stay connected. Um, you, you mentioned, you know, before that you, you've been working on this book or well, it's out now, so I'm sure it's yeah. a, a relief, uh, but it took, you know, over six years. Why did you decide to do a book first off and then a cookbook at that? Well, I have, let me see, how do I want to answer this question? 
a, a few years ago, I would say 10 years ago, I started, I stopped thinking of myself as a, a chef who was looking for a nationwide audience. And I started thinking about myself as someone who was an integral working part of central Kentucky's food culture. And I wanted to represent that in everything that I did. I mean, and it doesn't mean old school all the time. I definitely have served thousands of gallons of soup beans and a lot of cornbread in my day, but I've also really loved what our farmers are growing. And I love really interesting ways of cooking what our farmers are growing in central Kentucky. We have a farming community that's second to none. So it became very important to me to do, to represent this place. This is where I live. Um, my family lives here. My daughter's born here. Um, I've lived here since I was a child. Um, and so I, it just became very important to me to do that. And a cookbook is a natural way to extend that reach and, and not just keep everything into a restaurant kitchen, but show people how they can make these things in their own home. And it's a document of what we were doing in these restaurants. Now, this, this cookbook, just a few miles south, is um, comprised, it, it, it's comprised of recipes from Wallace Station, Windy Corner, Smithtown Seafood, uh, some Zims, and some of, from a little sandwich shop that we had at Woodford Reserve Distillery for many years called the Glens Creek Cafe. That's unfortunately because of COVID no longer there. But I wanted people to see what we were serving at that time. I love those old recipe, those books that you find sometimes of old Lexington restaurants. You know, the restaurants of my childhood, the Coach House, Cafe Chantant, you know, the Canary Cottage, all that stuff. I love those. And so I wanted, I think of this book in that way, that it's it's good for home use, but it's also a document about what we were eating now in this place. Well, and, and I was going to say, I, I find it really cool to, to see you uh, in some sense, be willing to, to share those recipes because I, and a, and a past job that I had, we we would do a fresh ingredients page in, a, in, a, in the paper I was at. And sometimes people would be very anti giving out a recipe. And I'm like, you don't have to give out your secret sauce recipe, just you know, maybe your favorite mom's <laughs> recipe. And some people were hesitant to do that. But, but, you know, you, yeah. you kind of embrace that. Why, why, why do do that? Well, um, I think it's part of what we give to people as chefs. It's a gift of, I think, the other thing that I really want to see is I want people to cook at home. I, I'm, I'm not worried about the, the restaurants. The restaurants are not going to suffer because someone gets a recipe for our, you know, our catfish poor boy and they see how to make the remoulade sauce. It's so great to be able to cook at home with your family. I think that's a lesson from 2020, you know, as you saw so many people cooking and, and we have all of our bread recipes. So like all of our Wallace station, our Midway bakery, white midway bakery wheat all of those bread recipes we make every sandwich on homemade bread yeah why wouldn't i want people to be able to make that in their bread machine you know it's it's not going to it's so far has not stopped anybody from coming <laughs> i mean we've been too busy in many many respects so yeah i don't understand the secrecy part of it i can understand if you're Heinz ketchup or Coca-Cola. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what recipe. I mean. The secret sauce <laughs> recipe I get. Yeah. <laughs> Recipes cannot be trademarked. You know, they can't be copywritten. They're, they're, once you release it, that's it. Anybody can use it. And so you have to keep it. The only way to protect it sometimes is to keep it secret. But 
I'm not reinventing the wheel um, and teaching people and inspiring people is a big part of who I am. Well, and, and too, I, I think you hit, hit the nail on the head there with it. It's really cool. You know, for me, I, I've got a young daughter, um, you know, during quarantine in the, the beginning of the pandemic, I started cooking more at home, nowhere near outside of if you give me the right amount of everything in the recipe, I might be able to pull it off. But outside of that, don't don't ask for a whole lot. But it's been fun. It's been fun to watch her and my wife, you know, make cookies, bake cookies, uh, things like that. Yeah. And, and two, I'm wondering, is that kind of what you, you also love to do is just share your love of food uh, with others? I mean, because I mean, that's a very yeah. communal uh, uh, ha- happening. Right. I mean, I am th- at this point in my life, I've been a chef for 35 years. And my role in the community and in our business is changing because I've got a lot of young people working in this restaurant. They have their own visions of what they want to create. And it's fabulous. It's really delicious. So what I am, what I want to do is show people that we have a rich and deep food culture here. And I want to talk about it. And I want especially young kids like your daughter. She could come to the Midway Bakery and get a cookie, a corn cookie or a, a chocolate chip cookie or a ginger gym or a sorghum crinkle. And then you could get that cookbook. And, and with especially with kids, when my daughter was little, you know, I would say, oh, yeah, you can make breadsticks. They're not just in the cafeteria. It's not magic. <laughs> you can actually make them. And guess what? You can put cheese inside if you want to. Yes, you can actually make a stuffed breadstick. And for kids, they're just like, what? This is so crazy. And so I think especially for the next generation, cooking is, an, is a gift that you can give to yourself and to your family. And it's a way to support yourself, not just um, professionally, if you happen to have a passion for professional cooking, but just at home. I mean, don't you want her to go off to college and know how to make an omelet or cook an egg or, you know, yeah. have some common? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You don't want to have me where I'm trying to look at a cookbook recipe going how to make scrambled eggs. You don't want that. You don't, oh, you don't no. want that in life. You're going to have to come over here. I'm going to have to give you cooking lessons. <laughs> I can tell. See, I've gotten better. I don't need a recipe for everything. Okay. So no recipe for scrambled eggs. Not You're anymore, sure. but back in college, okay. Okay. I might've had it uh, just so I didn't screw it up. Cause I was that self-conscious. Okay. Um, but yeah, you, you know, you talk about it. You have uh, seven restaurants, 200 employees. Did you ever imagine one day that you would have all of this? No, I didn't start out to become this, this big of a group, honestly, but sometimes there are places that just make your heart sing and you know that you need to be down there. Like our, our, our most recent restaurant is Zim's cafe in the historic courthouse in the middle of downtown Lexington. And I wanted to be able, I find that the most iconic building in Lexington, Kentucky, you know, and to, when you see a picture of Lexington, often it's of that courthouse when you're online, when you Google it. And I also wanted to fill that first floor of the courthouse with something that families could come and enjoy because that building is in the center of our town. It's beautiful. And kids should be able to run through the hall screaming and they should be able to come there and have a wonderful time. And so I wanted that diner kind of feeling there uh, for the downtown community, for the business community at lunch, but for families on special occasions when you're coming to the ball game, because it's so cool. It's such a cool building. How could I say no to that? I, I mean, to be, to be asked, to, be, to submit a proposal, it just was overwhelming. So 
And then the, you know, Honeywood is, is the next baby that we have. And I, I find all of our locations extremely iconic. And, you know, when Mr. Bayer of Bayer Properties comes to you and says, I'm building a $450 million development on Nicholasville Road, and I'm going to, it's mixed use, and it's this new way of thinking about developed property, and there'll be people living there, and there'll be people, all different kinds of businesses. And, you know, I found that vision very, very inspiring, and I still do. I, my idea with Honeywood was that we would bring a more youthful approach to local local cuisine and local agricultural products to Nicholasville Road. And I'm not knocking any businesses at all. Nicholasville Road has got some great restaurants on it, um, but most of the restaurants on Nicholasville Road are not using local agriculture. Now, Bella Note is, I mean, I love that place. So I'm not including everybody, don't get me wrong, but I'm saying in our concept there at Honeywood is to show the high and the low of Kentucky, you know, the super casual and also really interesting dishes that you can make with locally grown food and you can serve it on Nicholasville Road at the most developed corner um, in Lexington. Well, and, and I was going to say, you 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 kind of run the gamut too, in terms of the types of restaurants you have, you know, you have. Uh, Zim's Cafe in the courthouse, Thirsty Fox there, the, the bourbon bar. Yeah. Um, you got Honeywood, you got Holly Hill Inn, which is, I'd say, a very upscale, uh, you know, historic yeah. venue. That's our flagship. That, yeah. that, that's our first restaurant. And so, yes, it's a prefix dining in a 150-year-old home. Yeah. You know, and then you got Wallace Station, not that far away. That's yeah. the complete opposite. <laughs> you know, uh, how do you balance the wide range of styles and, you know, I don't want to say clientele because truthfully everyone could go to all of them, but yeah, sure. you know, it's different date nights for sure. You know, it's the casual date <laughs> night at Wallace station, the anniversary date night, maybe uh, at Holly Hill. And how do you balance a wide variety? I mean, you've got Smithtown and a brewery at, yeah. at six, you know, how do you I balance mean, Smithtown all that? Just kills it. I love that restaurant. Of course. I love fried fish. Who doesn't want fried fish with their beer? I mean, I love fried fish. Um, I don't always balance it that well. I mean, I, I'm a chef who got involved in business and my business has grown. I have an excellent, excellent staff of outstanding people. I have a fantastic chief operating officer who has taught me named Doug Mullins, who has taught me an incredible amount about business. And I have a director of operations in Leslie McPherson and, you know, they go all the time. They're at the different locations all the time. Each location has its own management team. So each location has a general manager. They have a, a chef. Sometimes they have a chef and a sous chef. Um, and so it's, it's, but it's a lot. It's a hell of a lot. Look, I mean, right now it's too much is too much is all I can say. Well, I, I was going to, you know, we, we talked a little bit before I hit the record button. What? what's it like trying to run all this right now with the, the craziness of the world? Cause I know, you know, I live in Lexington and been here, you know, several years now. And, you know, I reading the other day, you know, you're kind of closing down Midway bakery temporarily. So you can have staff come over to Wallace station to help it out. I mean, how's that balancing act of trying to keep things open, but also not run your staff into the ground and, and also yeah. still make good food. Cause you know, people are still people, unfortunately. Uh, sometimes. Yeah. That's right. I mean, everyone 
don't you feel like everybody's really stressed out right now in our community? Well, yeah, worldwide, just a little bit, just a little bit. Just a little bit. <laughs> We've been through it, man. We've been fighting one another since 2016, then the global pandemic came and it made it all really crazy. Um, so I think my approach is I am a patient person and I wake up in the morning and I try to just say today, I'm going to stay calm and patient through the whole day. And I really, really, really try to support my teams as much as I humanly can, like with a good word, with a pat on the back. I'm not giving a lot of negative feedback right now. I'll tell you that we're not driving at this moment. We're not trying to drive business. We're just trying to keep everything in a happy pattern. So that's my overall philosophy. With regard to Wallace, when the kids went back to school, when the high school kids went back to school, we lost 14 employees in one week and we cannot get, we haven't been able to get anybody back in there. And their, their management team had to go into production. So they were like making the sandwiches, the, the manager. And when the manager's doing that, they're not managing. Mm-hmm. And the bills can kind of fall off the bus a little bit. So we needed to figure out, we could not figure out how to get them the support they needed. We, I mean, we're trying to hire like crazy and be in there running food. <clears throat> We've improved the facility a lot, but it's, oh, there's more to do. And we have a fantastic manager in Sandy Allison at Midway Bakery. And so we thought, well, for the te- for, as a temporary measure, the bakery is still functioning. Like it's mm-hmm. functioning as a production facility. So it is baking everything. But we did have a beautiful counter there and we kind of closed that down and we took all the employees that were working that counter at the bakery and sent them with Sandy. Um, Sandy will manage both and the, the um, Midway counter, um, Midway Bakery counter people will help with the labor shortage at Wallace Station. And then hopefully we'll stabilize and be able to get the counter back open at the bakery. Um, Wallace has been extremely busy. Um, I can't because it's a picnic concept. So you're eating outside. It's just been so understaffed and so busy for the last year and a half that we haven't been able to catch up. And our staff is really, really burning out. And so we're going to close next week for just like six day period. We're putting in new furniture um, inside. We're adding new HVAC. There were a lot of things that we kind of that we've been working on. But because of supply chain delays, it takes months to get this parts in, you know, so you can actually, it took months to get the furniture in, you know, so you just have to be patient. I'm trying to be as patient as I can. And my, my customers are stressed. Some of them don't want to wear masks. Some of them, everybody has different political beliefs and beliefs about their health. And we're just trying to say all are welcome here. And try to be happy when you are here. <laughs> well, I was say, Whether you're of, working or buying. As <laughs> I, I said, that almost leads me perfectly into, into my, my next question. It's, you know, what, what role does food play in everyday life? Because I feel like for you all, you want to be a neighbor, your neighborhood feel to, to everywhere, but also be a good neighbor. You know, I mean, yeah. that's kind of, so, I mean, you have that warm, almost I call it like that Cheers-esque feel is kind of what uh, what you're shooting for so i guess how why that feeling and i'm guessing that helps with things uh, in this crazy world we're, we're in right now yeah 
Well, one reason we have so many different concepts is because each place that we're in, when you're out at Windy Corner, that's a specific neighborhood. That used to be called Muir, Kentucky. I mean, on your station and Brian's station. And we, we, we built that specifically to build a community out there. So we want the people who work there to, you know, identify with the location and we want them to identify with the food. Same at Wallace, same at Smithtown, a very different community down there. We, we really want to hire our neighbors and reflect back the food that's appropriate for them. And it, it is, there's nothing more important that the true meaning of hospitality is to welcome a stranger. And it's not about being an industry or a business. It's a philosophy. It's a way of life. And for me, it's a spiritual calling. I think about it in a spiritual way. Um, and I didn't always, but it really, when I was in my late thirties, early forties, I realized that it, it's, it's, it is a part of, my faith and my, you know, and I hadn't thought of it in that way before. So being a good neighbor is vital. I think restaurants, the independently owned restaurants and even corporate restaurants, I think we're great neighbors. We give to our communities over and over and over. I say to people all the time, we're the handshake of our community and not just me. We have a fantastic independent oh, yeah. restaurant group in, in Lexington. I mean, I feel like we have second to none restaurant community. Um, you know, you think about BHG and Malone's, they do that free Thanksgiving dinner every year. I mean, really people, people really reach out and they support God's pantry. They support food chain. They support Nourish Kentucky. They support really a lot, a lot of, a lot of charitable organizations in Lexington. So, and our community supports us back. When we went through shutdown in 2020, the community rose up and supported the restaurants the restaurant community, like, like it just, it felt so great. And it was so great. And it still is. There are people who are really stressed when they come into the restaurant. And so sometimes they act out a little bit, but they don't really, they're not trying to cause trouble. They're just stressed out. Well, and, and that kind of maybe also leads me to my, my next thing. Sometimes everyone might just need a, a drink if they can uh, to, to calm some nerves. Uh, you yeah. know, we're, we're the hops and spirits podcast or, or part of the hops and spirits family, beer and bourbon play a role in your restaurants. Uh, oh, yeah. you know, you've got Smithtown, which is located at West six brewing. I'm enjoying an Oktoberfest as, as we chat now, uh, you know, you've got the thirsty Fox with, with Zim's at the courthouse, you, you know, that has bourbon collections, things like that. And I'm going to talk to you about your bourbon club here in a second as well. And wine, yeah. wine guilds. I mean, how, how, how kind of does, does all that play, uh, with food, you know, the, the nice pairing of a good beer, a good wine, a good bourbon. Right. Well, I mean, I believe in connoisseurship when it comes to alcohol. So you want to be thoughtful and mindful about what you're drinking and think about the flavor and how to, what it's like on the palate. And it's made even better by pairing it with like it. Well, I mean, you can use flavors to pair into a, in a cocktail, but when you're pairing, um, when you're pairing wine and I think bourbon too, that's what makes it really fun. That's what makes connoisseurship fun to learn. That's what's great about bourbon is learning the whole story of bourbon, learning about who all the distillers are, how they're all related, the, the bourbon family tree. That's really exciting, mm -hmm. interesting. And the same thing is true about wine for me because wine is the ultimate agricultural 
uh, it's the pinnacle of agriculture. You get a, you know, the viticulture it can be divided into like nine by 12 plots and the grapes here can produce a different wine than the grapes over here. And you have winemakers who are actually doing that. Um, same thing is true with the hops. Look at the Brewgrass Trail and look at our craft brewing industry in Lexington and how lucky are we? I mean, and everybody has an individual interesting spin about their beer or a specific beer that they do great, you know, and it's, I, I love it. I mean, I, I just think, but the key is to marry, when you marry it with food, then your palate really starts to develop. And even if you're not eating and drinking at the same time, it helps your palate create palate memories and you find flavors in either the bourbon or the beer or the wine that you didn't find before, because you're consciously thinking, okay, is this going to be great? Is this bourbon going to be great with a toasted hazelnut? Is it going to be great with orange zest? Is it going to be great with cranberry? If it is, why? And then what can I bring to the table for it to, to you know, how can I elongate the finish? How can I look at the fruit? How can I, um, you know, pair with the IPA? What am I going to put with that IPA? This is smacking me across the face right <laughs> I was going to say, and nowadays with all the, the different finishes and, and bourbon and, and so forth, it, it, it kind of, it's, it's almost like a, a, you know, a sandbox. You, you, you get to play with so many different things and, and oh, then, yeah. you know, I mean, I, I know even at Smithtown, I think you, uh, the beer battered fish, does that use what, uh, West six, uh, yeah, we uh, use beer? West six beer and every, in all of our beer batter, we soak the catfish in the cerveza. So we get Kentucky catfish all from Lake Barkley. It's all wild caught. That goes into the cerveza. And I can't remember what beer we use in the bear batter, but we use, we have big growlers. They're at this point almost 10 years old that we got a long time ago when we first opened and we just take them over the bar. They fill them up for us. The beer cheese has all got Wessex beer in it. So yes, we use West because we love, we're a part of the brewery. You know, we're, we want people to see how related we are. Um, that is one of my favorite places on earth. I really love it. I was gonna say, I, I enjoyed it as well, but too, it kind of goes back to just how well you guys do at sourcing locally and integrating locally. Cause you can source, but it's also another thing to then integrate even further, you know, with beer, bourbon. I mean, you even being out of, at Woodford there for, for a while and, and so forth, just, you know, integrating well, yeah, I was everything. At, I was at Woodford for 10 years. I mean, I was at Woodford until COVID struck. Um, but their food service has not quite returned. They're allowing people on tour now, but they haven't started food service back up. And honestly, I had to contract because I love Woodford Reserve Distillery and I love the bourbon. I know a lot about that specific bourbon because of so many years working with Chris Morris um, and tasting. I've tasted every brand extension. When I started at Woodford, they just had Distiller Select. And there was no master's, there was master's collection, but it was different every year. And then the, the first master's collection that I remember was the toasted oak that became double oaked. Okay. And then they, the rye was a master's collection. Then they bottled the rye. So they, they, it's, it was very interesting to see all these different line extensions roll out and a lot of fun. Um, I wouldn't have traded it for the world. I mean, I really got an education about the history of bourbon about tasting bourbon. Um, Chris, Chris is an incredible guy and he's a, he's an amazing resource. And then his assistant 
uh, distiller Elizabeth McCall is the same way. They're brilliant um, at what they do. And they're, they're not just, they're, you know, they're chemists. They're not just like, it's not just a random thing there. They're really good at what they do. Well, and, and uh, I, I must say, uh, I, I enjoy, enjoyed my chat with Chris a, a while back and just hearing the amazing story of Woodford. Now, you, you talk yeah. about being able to, you know, taste everything. Uh, you, you had the wine guild, you still have the wine guild at Holly Hill Inn, correct? What made yeah. you do a kind of expand and go to the bourbon club with, with the Thirsty Fox and everything? Well, um, we have a bourbon, um, we have a, a bourbon master uh, named John Coffey, um, who, and I, it was his kind of John's idea. He is wonderful. And he knows a lot more. I know a lot about one bourbon and I feel like I have a great depth of knowledge on pairing food and bourbon together. So I'm a good taster. Mm-hmm. But, so I don't have the same industry breadth that John really does have. And so it was, we just had some fantastic conversations and, um, we have like 150 probably climbing bourbons out there. And we felt like we could bring something interesting by working together with our bourbon club. We wanted to have a culinary spin. Um, and not everyone has, unfortunately, because I've just gotten so crazy, but this next one is at the end of the month. And um, we're doing two different kinds of country ham and two different kinds of bacon. So we're going to do a prosciutto country ham around local melon. And we're going to do a, uh, a broad bent country ham kind of traditionally with a, um, a blackberry bourbon, a homemade blackberry bourbon jam and biscuit. Um, and so I think that's going to be really fun. And then we're going to do a couple of different kinds of bacon. We're going to do a slab bacon from Stone Cross Farms as a local producer. And I'm going to do that with a cherry tomato bomb which is a peeled cherry tomato that's soaked in straight bourbon. Oh. Pepper that bacon, that slab bacon. Well, it'll be like a peppered bacon with with a little tiny bit of sweetness to it. But when you have that cherry tomato, I mean, people may not realize how great tomatoes go with bourbon. They're (laughs) wonderful. And uh, that's one of my favorite accompaniments to a steak too. And we used to do that at Woodford all the time. And then we'll do like a slow caramelized bacon, um, and we might serve that with like a fresh apple salad. It's going to be good. I'm excited well, about it. I was going to say, that's got me me, me uh, going. <laughs> that sounds delicious. Um, you, you know, I also, uh, follow, where I follow you on, on social media, I saw you got to go on, I believe, your first uh, barrel selection, barrel pick. Yes. Uh, what, 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 was, what was that like? Well, because it was COVID, we didn't get to go to the distillery. We did an old, feral, an old Forester single barrel. And... I love Old Forester. You know, I, I'm a Woodford ambassador. I'm a Woodford person, Woodford girl. But um, when I was growing up, Old Forester was the bourbon in our house. It was like, to me, it's always been like the real Kentucky bourbon. I know that I, I love a lot of different bourbons, but in our house, Old Forester was like the bourbon that everybody, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so I felt like I've always gravitated to it and I've always loved, um, I love the, the way they've redone the distillery and brought it to downtown Louisville. And I did a dinner there uh, for Gilda's club. And so I enjoyed that. I, it, it just kind of created this interest in me and I, I will do a barrel pick with Woodford. I want that barrel pick. I want to be able to be at the distillery with Chris and Elizabeth when I do it because I want to look at a whole bunch of different things that are very interesting and different about it. 
Um, but we had a great time. They sent us, we did it in the Thirsty Fox. Uh, so we had a blind tasting. Um, it was my husband and myself, John, our, our bourbon master, our part, our Doug Mullins, our, our chief operating officer, Leslie and Tyler, and then the um, Republic Rife. But we didn't have anybody from the distillery there. So in a way that was great because we didn't have anyone to guide us. <laughs> just had to, and it was a completely blind tasting. We had to really think through each sample. Um, and you know, when you do a barrel pick at Woodford, you're doing a blended barrel. Like you're picking what you're going to put in the barrel and how, how much, how much of each you're, you're creating a yeah. small batch. And um, so it was an interesting, a different experience just to taste one. Plus it's very, very high proof. So I had to cut it all so that I could actually taste it. Uh, <laughs> So, but I, I was happy with it. I, I think it's really good. Well, I, I was going to say, I, I think too, nowadays, it's very interesting to see how, you know, bourbon has come a long way and, you know, I, I've learned so much more during the, this podcast. I mean, I knew, knew a decent bit beforehand from my previous job, um, but, but doing this podcast and, and two, I find it very interesting now that, you know, there's restaurants that are getting more into the, doing their own picks and so forth. So you guys yeah. have something that, is unique to you that someone's not going to get anywhere else. Yeah, I feel that way. I feel like I was, I did a lot of research, an incredible amount of research actually around with all my work with Woodford Reserve. Over 10 years, I probably wrote, I mean, what, three or 400 menus, all centered around bourbon, pairing every item with bourbon with Woodford specifically. Um, and to create that kind of like, library of information in your head, you know, I, I wanted to branch out and taste other bourbons and pair with other bourbons. And I, I honestly just, I do think I have a good palate. I'm not trying to be arrogant about it, but I think that after all that practice, I was gonna say practice makes, makes perfect. I mean, that's the only way <laughs> <Yeah>. you learn. <laughs> yeah. Um, that I, I do, I felt good about that barrel pick because I didn't tell anybody what my number one barrel was. Cause I don't want anyone to agree with me. Mm -hmm. I hear what everybody else has to say. And then, yeah, everyone came around and that was my, and I taste picked it on the first tasting through. So I have a friend who's a super critic, like really tough critic when it comes to bourbon. And he's done a ton of barrel picks, probably hundreds. And so I gave him a bottle of that and he hasn't yet had it. He's Ooh. like, and I'm like, he just picked an old Forester barrel himself. So he's probably waiting to get his, his bottle. And then he's going to taste it. I know. I'm like, don't you dare post anything about this. Just tell me if it sucks. Just call me up and tell me. I don't want anyone to know. Just. But well, I, here, here, here's the beauty. Yeah. Drink it how you like it. And some people <laughs> like different, different varieties. And, you know, it that's just, right. It, it is what it is. You could just say we have different taste buds and, and no, right. You know, nothing wrong with that. But uh, we want to do another one as soon as we can. I think we'll do some, we have bluegrass tavern, BG tavern across um, the Tandy pavilion from Zim's to their neighbors. And we share some employees. And so uh, Sean over there has asked if we would like to do a bar barrel pick together, which I think would be really fun, you know, and then, um, we've got the guys that own Owls and Wine and Market, Seth Brewer. He's asked if we would like to do one together. And I just think it's fun. It's part of our food culture. It's part of our, like our community, 
Yeah. I was going to say, it goes back to that neighborhood, uh, that being a good yeah. neighbor. I mean, exactly. you, you got to be a good neighbor. People are asking you to join in on, on things. I, I don't think they, they do that for, 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 for bad neighbors. So There's so many great bourbon clubs in Lexington. I think we ought to have a big convivium where everybody comes together. All the bourbon clubs get together. When COVID's over, we'll all get together. We'll all drink our favorite pours and I don't know, it'd be fun. I was gonna say it'd be it'd be a great night, great great day uh, for sure. Yeah, uh, you know we, we talked a lot about bourbon here. Now we talked food earlier. You know, with, with the food and, and kind of just your career. You know, you've been James Beard Foundation Award nominee. You know, nominations for outstanding restaurant tour, best chef Southeast. You know, numerous other awards. What what is that like? Because you know, I've I've talked to to folks. You know that have created beers that have been gold medal winners, things like that. And, yeah. you know, I mean, they don't do it for that, but that's gotta be a nice confirmation of that. What you're, you're doing is, is something that is right. It is really nice, but um, I will say this, that it's a huge honor, um, but being nominated like that is something that really the credit goes to my team. It's like, I'm the spokesperson for a group of people who are all super passionate about what they do. And I have really, uh, you know, I, I, so it's, it's a credit to them um, to be nominated like that. And I, I hope we're nominated again because we're changing the name of our group from we to Michael family restaurants to the Holly Hill and restaurant group, Holly Hill restaurant group. And, or Holly Hill and Company, because I feel like it more accurately reflects our entire team. And um, I'm very proud of them, and I'm really proud of the work that we do. And it's just, yeah, it's an honor to be record, recognized nationally for that. Again, I feel like we have a food culture here that's incredible with the Bourbon Trail and with our heritage, with our agricultural traditions. We're second to none. I mean, we don't have to you know, we're, we're, we're really, we really have a lot on the ball in Kentucky. I was going to say, I, I really think that uh, hit home for me when I believe it was top chef that came, came to Kentucky a year or two yeah. ago and, and, you know, got to showcase what, what Kentucky has between, you know, the so-called triangle Louisville, Lexington, Northern Kentucky, but also just all over the state with some amazing restaurants and some. Uh, well, you know, Sarah, chefs. Sarah that got to the finals there, you know, she's from Paducah and her restaurant there is called the field house and Jonathan, you need to freight house, freight house. I'm sorry. You need to get her on the show. So she has one of the largest bourbon collections, Ooh. uh, North of whatever, or South of, I can't remember what the geographical constraint is, but she has a huge bourbon collection and it's probably the largest in Kentucky or one of the, the very largest, and it is, she's phenomenal. Yes. You need to get her. Sarah Brown. I, I will, I, I will put that down. Yes. That, that'll be yeah. in my notes uh, uh, for, for, for later on. Cause I'm always looking for, for fun chats. Um, you, you, we, you know, you've, you've done so much in terms of opening different restaurants, you know, obviously now things are kind of, you, I'm sure things are moving forward, but at the same time, you're trying to stay afloat. Uh, yeah. You know, what, what, what's next for you all right, right now and for you? Well, I, I want to have another book that I want to write. Um, I'd write, like to write a book about the Holly Hill Inn and I, and you know, a, a, a book that's not about our casual restaurants, but are, it's a little bit more about uh, maybe an, an autobiog 
autobiographical cookbook in a way. Um, and we are launching a new website um, that's going to be um, content-based. Um, so we have all of our restaurant websites, but this website's going to have videos and um, recipes, articles that you can read about Kentucky's food culture all through. Um, and I'm really excited about that. That's my kind of my passion project. It'll have an e-commerce aspect of it so that if, like, for example, we're working on an apple butter right now that we're using all 100% apples from Reed Valley Orchard, which is this amazing orchard um, outside Paris and Cynthiana, and kind of in between them. And uh, Joyce and Charlie Penson from Whitesburg, Kentucky, are going to produce the apple butter and put it in the jars for us. So I'm, you know, things like that, that we are curating, especially for um, people to get a true taste of what our food culture is like. Uh, I think I'm really excited about it. I'm, I'm, that's what I, when my time begins to clear from all of the restaurant operations that we've all been 100% dedicated to, if we can calm things down and get into a happy pattern, that's really what I want to spend my time. Well, that, that sounds like an amazing thing to share to kind of give back the, the knowledge that, that, that you and your team has been able to, to gather all these years. Um, you know, we, we talked about the book at the beginning, uh, just a few miles south. Um, what, what can people expect when they, they, they grab that? Because I think I was reading, I don't know if it was one of the other podcasts you had talked to when it first came out last earlier this year, uh, you kind of want it to be the most uh, ear, earmarked uh, yeah, <laughs> book. Yeah, dog-eared in, copy in uh, your yeah, kitchen. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, you were talking about your daughter earlier. I think that's the kind of cookbook that we wrote, that it is a great, it's got our bourbon chili in it. You want to make pimento cheese? It's got the Wallace Station pimento cheese. You want to make Benedictine? It's got the Benedictine in it. You know, you want our remoulade sauce from our Oyster Poor Boys? It's in there. Um, how to fry catfish, how to fry chicken, how to make our breads, all of it, all of those recipes are there and they're great recipes for kids. So like if she wants to bake cookies, our jumbo chocolate chip cookies in there. If she wants to make a quiche, you know, there's a quiche recipe. So it's, it's a great intergenerational cookbook. Um, and I, we're proud of the recipes because we spent a long time developing them and researching them and they really work well. And it's a fun read. So it tells the story of, you know, Steve Rose, who was one of our first employees we hired at Windy Corner all those years ago. You know, it's his grandmother's recipe for red eye gravy. And then his biscuits and gravy recipe is in there. Um, Sean Willoughby, who's our chef at Windy Corner, it's his meat love recipe. Ethan Bowling, who's our chef at Zim's, it's his guacamole recipe that goes on the Santa Anita Club every time you eat it, or the Santa Anita Burger. Um, so it's all those, it's fun, because it's, it's the story of all the thousands of times we've made these recipes and the hundreds of people that have produced them in our different restaurants. I think you can kind of feel them in that book, which I love. Well, I, I was going to say, I, I know reading through it, I mean, I, but, you know, I worked in Madison County for, for a good while. So I believe Bill Best, who, who's been known to collect oh, yeah. seeds of, of all sorts of uh, tomatoes and, and other things, you know, so it's, it's got just the, the, the interesting people too, of, uh, of just kind of the, the yeah, where do we get there. our sorghum? Right. Bill Best is referred to our country rock sorghum. You know, all the different, yeah, all of our different producers, Smithtown, um, 
you know, Stonecross Farms, we've had this long alliance with Patrick Kennedy. He does all of our hamburgers. Every hamburger we sell in any of our restaurants is a locally, is a Kentucky proud burger. It comes from Kentucky and it's, it's processed in Kentucky. It's ground in Kentucky. <laughs> and I think it just makes a big difference in the flavor and the, and also keeps all that money right here at home. I mean, I'm, I'm proud of that. Well, and I believe you should be because you've done done an amazing job. Every restaurant that I've been to, I'm not saying this. I've told this to many people. I'm not saying that because you're on here. I'm saying it because I've actually gone to them, enjoyed them. Uh, you know, Wallace Station's only a couple miles from my house, and uh, that's an easy pickup uh, on some nights. And uh, uh, you know, I, I I just enjoy enjoy all of them. Uh, the book is through University Press of Kentucky. Where else can they find it? I'm sure on your website, uh, anywhere else. Yep, you can go to weedamichael.com. It's also available at all of our restaurants. It's on the shelf at every restaurant, but also it's at Joseph Beth. You know, support your local bookstore. Get on out to Joseph Beth. They have so many great things out there. I absolutely love that store. And uh, it's also at Barnes and Noble. And so if you're at, on one side of town, go to Joseph Beth. If you're on the other, you can hit Barnes and Noble. And um, yeah, those are the, you know, and it's also, in, there are several bookstores in Louisville that have it. The Keeneland Mercantile Store downtown has it. L.V. Harkness has it for gifts. So it's, I'm just so happy that the Midway Museum Store in, in Midway has it. So there, it's, it's out there. And it makes me very proud that all these retailers in our community are selling it. I really appreciate it. Well, and, and folks, even if you're not in Kentucky, perfect gift to get uh, anyone that enjoys, uh, uh, you know, a good, uh, a good home cooked meal, uh, lots of good recipes in there, just a lot of good knowledge being passed on. Remember, we're in the midst of Whiskey Weeks 2021 presented by Knows Your Bourbon. A lot of fun coming up, including some flight nights with uh, some Kentucky folks, uh, Barrel Bourbon, Stellan Bourbon out of Louisville. Uh, don't forget to check out our past first episode of the month with uh, Dan Kid Heavy Bourbon, a lot more fun to come. Uh, stick around. Uh, you, you won't want to miss it. Chef Chef Wida, I truly appreciate it. And like I said, this was a pleasure of mine. And I love all the work that you have, have done and continue to do. Thank you, Jonathan. It was wonderful to be here. <laughs>